in East Anglia, we've seen examples of customers connecting at 400 kV and, you know, triggering circuit breaker works on things like Ofto networks or other existing power generators. And so, you know, might have a list of 10 circuit breaker reinforcements, um, which are third party works. So, so I think this is a, re- a really big point of concern for, for people who have transmission offers, transmission applications. Hello and welcome to the Connectology podcast. Here, Road Knight Taylor's influential team of elite connection specialists and their expert guests help you to better understand distribution and transmission network connections and how to acquire them faster, for less cost and at lower risk. I'm Hugh Taylor. I'm CEO here at Road Knight Taylor, but very much the layperson in this room. And I'm joined by two of the connectologists here at Road Knight Taylor. I've got Catherine Cleary and Pete Aston. And without any further ado, I'm actually just going to launch straight in. The topic of today is third party works, about which I know next to nothing. So first of all, one of you, one or other of you, could you just outline first of all what are third party works and then maybe the other one you can spend some time preparing their thoughts of why we're actually doing this podcast about them. Shall I go first? Third party works are something that's related to um, transmission connections and uh, so so when a transmission scheme is connected to the transmission network so so typically generation it will potentially have an impact on the distribution networks that sit below the, the transmission network. So hence the term third party, because it's not the network that the transmission customer is connecting to, but it's a party that's impacted. So it's not necessarily just the DNO networks that are third party networks. It could be other transmission connected customers as well. But we're seeing it predominantly with the distribution networks at the moment. But um, yeah, there's lots of examples where it affects other customers as well. But yeah, so it's where transmission customer has to pay for works on the distribution network or or has to wait for works to happen but potentially has to pay for works on the distribution network to be done upgrades reinforcement great well i now understand it thoroughly um and catherine why 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 uh waste everyone's time well, well no they're investing their time hopefully this isn't a waste podcast. of time <laughs> <laughs> well i think um as pete says i think it you know it has it can have quite a significant impact on the capital costs for a transmission scheme um so it's something that people with uh transmission offers have probably seen a clause in their offer that either says um you know there are no third party works identified as yet or you know there there is a requirement to uh, uh you know potentially determine the third party works or perhaps even more scarily the following third party works have been identified for your connection um and i think we're seeing you know i think perhaps we're seeing an increased understanding from the industry now that that this is a really real risk. Um, There are some connections which are more likely to attract third-party works, so tertiary winding connections, for example. You're you're connecting onto the the, the SGT, which is the asset between the the, the transmission owner and the DNO, so you're you're much more likely to impact a DNO connecting there. Um, But even, you know, 400 kV connections now in, in some parts of the network, we're seeing attract, you know, significant third party works where maybe you're you're triggering other generators circuit breaker upgrades. So it's a big deal, which affects, you know, more than 50 percent of the transmission connections these days, I think. And from what I've seen, it's it's the, 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 the two main issues are um, fault level. Yeah. And um, power flow on, you know, sort of. A specifically on an SGT or something. Yeah. yeah. But I, I've seen I've seen it interestingly in a. Uh, uh, on some of the interconnected one through two kV networks in the southwest, um, where there was a, I think an interconnector had been offered a connection 
um, into a transmission substation, which was like 1.4 gigawatt interconnector. Um, and the DNO understandably said, this could have a significant impact on our network. Uh, and so, you know, the, 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 that pa- the sort of through flow yeah. on an interconnected 132 network could be, an, could be a possibility as well as just, you know, power flow on supergrid transformers. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, that point about, um, you know, perhaps uh, people had assumed that, that sort of 400 kV large connections were sort of relatively well isolated from the distribution networks. But um, we've seen in East Anglia, we've seen examples of, of customers connecting at 400 kV and, you know, triggering uh, circuit breaker works on um, things like off-tow networks or other existing power generators. Um, so, you know, might have a list of 10 circuit breaker reinforcements, um, which are third-party works. So, so I think this is a, re- a really big point of concern for for people who have uh, transmission offers, transmission applications. And I suppose the key point is understanding how people go from having a clause in their offer to getting to the point where they've bottomed out the cost and timeframe impact of those third-party works. Yeah, and, and it's it's not always been very clear because the, the, the clause in the offer will say something along the lines of, there are there is a third-party works impact, or there might be, and you know you have to go and talk to the third party. So so the onus is put on the transmission customer to go and talk to the third party directly about what those works could be. So if if it was a potential DNO problem, you know the the, the transmission customer who gets the transmission offer would then have to go and speak directly with the DNO, and the DNO will then have to do some sort of assessment on their network. And I, th- I think DNOs are getting a bit better with this mm. as well because their process is that... Because there hasn't been a process that covers this, and maybe we'll talk about that in a minute because there might be one coming. But uh, the, the DNOs have maybe not been that aware of the need to to be quite hot on this, but I think I think most of the DNOs are probably a bit more aware of it now. So, so yeah, the, the transmission customer has to come talk to the DNO, or it could be to another generator, but let's say it's the DNO, and say and and almost make an application. And that's where part of the problem comes in with like queue positioning, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and DNO is not necessarily, you know, as you say, there's no formal process. So, you know, we haven't had all of the DNOs take exactly the same approach. But there does seem to be this sort of settling down on this idea of a, a distribution impact assessment. You know, maybe following a similar process to a kind of G99 application in terms of the information that the DNO require. And I think one thing, though, is clear, you know, until there is a statutory timeframe requirement for the DNO prioritising these sort of distribution impact assessment requests, then generally speaking, they'll, they'll take second place to the kind of standard connection offer yeah. workload. So they t- they do tend to take more than three months to deliver. And they can because there isn't any requirement for them to do anything else. Yeah, exactly. No kind of guaranteed standards. Also, they are quite complex. You know, there's the level of technical data provided with your national grid connection offer is relatively slim. So, you know, th- there will be sensible questions um, about t- potentially which bus section you're connecting to, you know, which make an impact on things like your fault contribution downstream. Um, so there is, uh, you know, in the, in the ones that we've seen, there's been quite a lot of technical back and forth. One of the interesting impacts of this is that transmission customers don't get included in the DNO's queue of schemes until that transmission customer specifically makes an application to the DNO. Mm. So th- there are plenty of schemes that we've looked at where, b- between us connectologists here, where transmission customers haven't yet made an application and they're just putting themselves further and further behind distribution customers. So you get this real you know, mismatch of queue positions. Yeah, I, I think though, I, I do get the sense that investors have woken up to that risk because I think we've seen more parties recently come to us and say, you know, I've just accepted my grid offer and actually I, I need to progress this, this third party works issue ASAP because I've got, a, I've got an investor who, who doesn't want to touch this until they know that that's not going to p- kill the project, which is, is very sensible. But I think for me, one of the other 
highlights is not just the, the queue position thing because like I guess if it was my scheme, I'd probably put a third-party OX application in as soon as I Straight accepted away. a transmission offer, yeah. if not earlier. I don't know if you can do it earlier. Maybe you can. Might be tricky. Um, but um, it, it's how the costs are apportioned because there is no cost apportionment. So if, if, you, if you as a transmission customer trigger, let's say, a 132 switchboard change on the DNO's network, you will pay the full cost. There is no apportionment. Probably there haven't been that many cases yet of that actually happening and the the kind of triggering party progressing. So we haven't kind of got to the crunch point of the numbers being implemented. I think, you know, again, it will come back to key position because there is this argument about whether if a DNO has already triggered some of that work themselves from their own contracted queue position and they've started apportioning, does this open a door for them to simply say, well, actually, we're just going to charge the whole lot to the transmission customer? Obviously, that that, that doesn't feel very kind of like fair and, and equitable. So I think there are a lot of questions about how this works in practice and, and, you know, and how the kind of the triggering parties for those reinforcements might change. Yeah, but w- without anything written down and, that, you know, no guidance around policy, the, the DNOs could do whatever they want. I think there is a real need for, you know, we'll come to this, you know, that there is a cusp mod um, that's been raised in order to introduce the distribution impact assessment process. It was raised several years ago by SSE. It is a complex issue. So it's been one of the ones which has been through the ringer several times and various sort of alternative proposals brought by the working group. But it goes in both directions. You know, in some ways, the DNO being the third party should be one of the simplest cases. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the examples where you've got multiple other generators who are third parties connected at, at transmission. Actually, that's a really complicated cost sharing piece because you've got multiple third parties who all have to respond, provide technical information, provide cost offers. They're potentially not third parties that are very interested in progressing, you know, new connections to the network. You know, they might be the competition. And really, there's a key role that will fall to NGSO ultimately to coordinate that because, you know, in the case of East Anglia, you know, it might be tens or hundreds of connection applications which all have those third-party works in. So that becomes a really complex beast. That sort of idea is behind the CUSC mod, isn't it? Is it 328, CMP328? I was thinking that we should have, I should have. I'm not, yeah, not, we should not, have looked. We're, we're no, sitting here uh, with Cassidy yeah. and we haven't got a computer. <laughs> you complete us. amateurs. Yeah, yeah. someone can um, Google that. CMP3-something, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I, th- I think the idea within that is that National Grid ESO will act as the sort of go-between. So the, the transmissioned customer doesn't have to make the application to to the third party it's the ESO that does the coordination and that then is looks like third statement of works or transmission impact assessment in reverse and and that sort of is it probably a good thing it makes you know tidy things up yeah. a little bit though I, i'm slightly i'm just slightly because that was where we were about 2 years ago you know that was the original proposal and then what has happened in the wake of a lot of tertiary applications is actually what it turned out that National Grid and Gesso didn't have a lot of the technical information that the DNOs were asking for, you know. So there ended up being this kind of need to go back to the customer and we sort of moved away from that. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of strings that need to tie together. There's definitely a kind of overarching role that, that Gesso could play, which would help facilitate that transfer of data, even though the data is probably going to need to come from from different parties. And I, and I guess it's only advantageous if Gesso works speedily. <laughs> Absolutely. Like with anything like this, you know, I think we are in a situation where where things do need to be to have time frame milestones, sort of guaranteed standards of performance. Otherwise, everything does slip to the bottom of a very busy workload. And this is this is you know key for determining which projects are viable and which are not. So you know, it's kind of in everyone's interests to make sure that we get to the bottom of the third party works question quickly because it might help some projects drop away from the transmission queue. This, this kind of sounds a little bit like Appendix G and the fact that project progression 
um, applications weren't going up from DNOs up to the to the ESO. It's this just completely turned on its head. But you could have the same negative impact on transmission customers as under Appendix G. We've been having for distribution customers over that the fact that there there aren't those guaranteed standards. Yes, though I suppose at the moment transmission customers are in a slightly better position because at least they're not they're able to kind of start that process themselves. That that is what's really kind of right. They're not actually currently waiting for national grid. So I think that's that's kind of what we're saying, isn't it? If yeah. if, if there is a coordination role that, that NGSO play, then that needs to come with a, a guaranteed standard of, of, mm. of time frame. Whereas at the moment, a transmission, you know, customer can go, right, I've accepted my offer, same day put in an application to the DNO or other parties and say, I want a third party works assessment. And, and even if it takes them six months to do, that's that's still way better than the average time frame for getting a project progression. But it but it does depend on it does depend on that connecting customer understanding yes. the third party process and it has to do. Yes. We'll take a very quick break and we'll be we'll be back in a moment. If you're liking this podcast so far, you may want to pop over to the Connectology page on Road Knight Taylor's website and sign up to the Connectology newsletter for much more know-how, insight and thought leadership in electricity network connections. The link to this is in the description. Don't miss out on any of the articles, explainers, videos, webinars and podcasts that Road Knight Taylor's Connectologists share to give you an edge and help you overcome your grid frustrations. Good. I hope you enjoyed your break. Just uh, on to this question more about, I guess, uh, from my perspective, I look, for me, third party works, you know, three months ago, I'd never heard of it. Now it seems to be a thing that um, I'm, I'm hearing within the office here all the time. And uh, Pete, I think you said that there was a sort of a certain lack of awareness within the distribution network operators themselves. And, and therefore within connecting customers whether they be the developer or the fund who's acquiring these schemes is there a a lack of understanding of first of all uh, what needs to be done when and also the the risks associated with third-party works I think there probably has been a lack of understanding sort of across the board but I think like Catherine said a bit earlier I think that understanding is growing now and it's and it's becoming identified as not only a potential cost risk, but there's a potential timescale risk on, on connections as well. Obviously, at transmission level, transmission customers, even without reinforcement, would generally expect quite long timescales on the connection. But if you've got, for DNA, for example, has to change the 132 switchboard, that's a potentially five, six year project, and it could really delay a, a transmission connection. So on the DNO side, I, I think they are certainly getting much more aware of it. Um, I know quite a lot of the DNOs like Catherine was saying again, treat it very much like a giving an almost a connection offer. Obviously, not connection offer, but sort of just a works offer of some kind. But but that, that's that's just another interesting thing. The DNAs sort of have to work out how to treat this because they're not connecting customers, and and normally the DNAs don't give offers to people who aren't who <laughs> aren't connecting to their network. So they've had to work out what sort of offer do we give you know we can't call it a connection offer so do they call it a third party works offer do they you know how, yeah. how do they treat it within their systems you know how do they treat the income you know there's all sorts of things they've got to work out yeah how, yeah what they do with it yeah exactly and i think i think a lot of people have done a good job of trying to sort of you know fit it in a rough pigeonhole um, at the moment which is sort of somewhere around the kind of feasibility you know so you pay a bit of money that gives an engineer some time to look at it and they issue uh, what most dnos are calling a distribution impact assessment report i do think what we, we probably see a mix in the developer community between people who are really now have been kind of you know, playing in this transmission 
market for sort of the last two years become relatively astute um, and people who are who are newer entrants um, and perhaps still got a bit of a kind of learning to go on that one thing I think which which may catch out a reasonable number of people is the fact that a third party works assessment just like a connection offer you know it's only as good as the information you put into it we're seeing schemes now which are far more progressed which have potentially modapt so significantly changed some of the technical parameters um haven't necessarily gone back and revisited that third party works assessment so i think that again is another complication that actually you know to understand that that it's in everyone's interest to get the kind of third party works question tied down as soon as possible. But on the other hand, if you change your project, you need to be thinking, does this now have a different answer from a third party works perspective? Just one thing you picked up on there is that report that gets produced by the DNO. I think it's really important that developers understand properly what's included in that because they're all different, because there isn't necessarily a standard format. You have to understand, is this sort of contractual you know, is the DNO actually saying, if you connect what you've told me you're going to connect, this is how much I'm going to charge you, you know, sort of like a contract, or is it just a feasibility study? Well, we've looked at it and we think it might be something like this, but, you know, we can't tell you for for five years, or we can't tell you until you've specified exactly where you're going to connect or what you're going to connect. And, and, it's, and it's actually working through those reports they're all different and, and they're all they are know, aren't they completely yeah. i mean i think some of the ones i've read they varied from the the best of the best you know for, from a customer perspective which just says no works you know sort of job done in a few sentences and you think great to, to ones which have huge levels of caveats and sometimes those caveats are things which the generator might not be able to control you know so there'll be things like there are no third-party works assuming that you know the following 400 kv works are not required at this substation as a result of something else you know which might be completely a a, a, a tangential to to this this generator's connection so yeah i think you're right i think getting a bit of kind of solidity in that response um, and and that might require a bit of iteration with the dno Mm. so you too are involved with a a number of projects um, that are impacted by third party works carried out due diligence have been involved in projects that have been through diligence where third party works haven't necessarily that risk hasn't been picked up so but where do you see your roles as connectologists with regards projects that are or may be impacted by third-party works well i th- i think it's right the way across the piece i think to start with like like on the sort of due diligence side of things i've done some due diligence reports where you know you get lots of folders of information and the folder that says third-party works you click on it and there's nothing in it um, or there's an application to a dno and no response yeah <laughs> uh, so so you go well i, I can't tell you anything about third-party works because they're there's nothing come back from the DNO. So it, it could be a very much an initial thing to saying to the developer, have you heard of third party works? And if not, I think you should then, then make an application and then potentially supporting them in, in making an application right the way through to, yes, we've got a report from the DNO and then assessing that report and then going, okay, well, here, here's the risks within that. Like Catherine's saying, all these caveats that might be in that. Uh, I'm actually, do you, do, do you really understand what these caveats are? And maybe there isn't a pounds number associated mm. with the works and actually saying, well, our estimate might be that you could be, you know, liable for X pounds worth of work if this all goes through and it could be a big number. So, you know, it's, it's sort of right the way across the, the board really. And sometimes it could be supporting the transmission customer in conversations with the, the DNO. Yeah, I think sometimes it's getting things unstuck. So we have had a few schemes which have got stuck, you know, either because that that particular DNO hasn't kind of followed the general process that others are doing. And that's needed like perhaps a 
I, I know, for example, that Scottish Power, based on sort of quite recent conversations, you know, are, are really pushing back against the idea that customers come directly to them. They want National Grid to be the coordinating party. So things like that, you know, where actually, you know, the customers kind of tried to do something based on their experience elsewhere. And that hasn't, so they've got a kind of computer says no answer. So sort of coordinating the three parties is something that I think we can help with. And making sure as well that the, the third party works assessment is done on good data. Because that's the other thing. If you're about to acquire a scheme, the grid application might have been submitted two years ago. Maybe actually you want to check things like your fault level contribution before you get someone to go away and do a third party works assessment on it, especially if it wasn't you that submitted that application. A, a third party works application, is it similar in a way to a, a G99 application? The DNO isn't trying to give you a connection solution. Yes, so, exactly. So there's no like point of connection discussion. You know, you're not, it's not like you're deciding to connect here or there on the distribution network. It's really something's happening at transmission level and, and feeding down through the SGTs or something. So and there's, there's less flexibility on your side as well. Yeah. You know, you've, you've already applied for your connection. You've said you're going to build a 250 megawatt solar farm. You know, you're, you're going to build a 250 megawatt solar farm unless you vary that connection agreement with National Grid. So your your third party works application, which we're, we're sort of calling that a thing, even though it's not a thing, but um, to the DNO need, needs to reflect exactly what you have contracted with Grid. It just needs to be as accurate as possible based on what, what you will build. Mm. And so do you carry out a connection offer review? Definitely reviewing the impact assessment when it comes out from, from the DNO or from, well, I mean, I'd love to see one of these East Anglia ones. Actually, we haven't, we haven't yet seen the coordinated <laughs> output for, from one of those yet. But yeah, reviewing that is really key because as I say, it could have huge numbers of caveats, which and some of those might not be valid caveats to include. So, you know, might need someone to go back and say, you know, from a DNO's perspective, we understand why you've said this, but you, you know, that, that doesn't have any bearing on this customer's connection. Yeah. So you need to agree that separately with National Grid, not include it in this distribution impact. Yeah. And, and there could be an element of challenge in there with, with the DNOs, you know, if, if they do provide a response to actually go back and say, well, you, know, you can't, is it right that you're saying that? You know, can you say that? Are these, are these works actually required? So, you know, I think, I think there is an element of challenge there that you can bring to the DNOs. And if you're, carrying out due diligence is there still that same opportunity or is it a little bit late i know that due diligence you're, you're looking for risk more than opportunities but but how when you're carrying out due diligence and and there is something in that third party works folder in the data room where where, where does it fit into your your due diligence oh I'd, I'd, I'd say a lot of the dd we, we're doing on uh, i mean bearing in mind that the majority of the schemes at transmission that we're seeing transacting are transacting prior to construction so um, you know they might be being sold as sort of you know shovel ready projects but in reality there'll, there'll be a reasonable amount of work left to do on the kind of yeah detailed uh technical review side prior to construction contracts being let so there's normally quite a lot still left to do uh, in terms of, i mean it would be a good project that was being sort of sold with consented rights or something which had got all of the the i's dotted and the t's crossed on third party works yeah th- th- there's there's definitely a long way to go for some schemes that we look at due diligence where where there is has been no third party engagement at all yeah you know and those schemes have got a long way to go and that's a very big red flag on the top of the dd report to go you haven't engaged with the dno or the third parties here and we don't know what the answer is but nor do you and and this is a you know a really big flag on on this and and potentially the longer you don't engage the more the chance that you're going to get an answer you don't like (laughs) um so yeah i think that that kind of question about cue positions is, is really quite important well, I think ha- having listened to this, certainly now I understand a lot more about third party works and hopefully our audience will have learned a thing or two from this. So thank you and thank you all for, for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connectology podcast. If you found it helpful, please share it with any of your colleagues or connections you think may be interested. And please do subscribe at Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your content. You can find out more about our services at roadnighttaylor.co.uk, link in the description, where you can also sign up to our free Connectology newsletter for more news and thought leadership in network connections. If, during this podcast, you found yourself wondering what it would be like to have a Road Knight Taylor connectologist in your life, please do email laura at roadnighttaylor.co.uk to find out how their game-changing skills and insight can change the game for you too.